Welcome to UMCG Research Talk, the podcast where we talk about research news and important themes in the research landscape. In this episode, we discuss an important theme, namely diversity in the research field. We focus here on gender differences. My name is Larissa van der Waal. And my name is Joost Wessels. And with us today are two guests. Marjan Joels, Professor of Neuroscience and Dean of Medical Sciences at the UMCG, who actively strives for the position of women in science. And also Marco Versluis, gynecologist, researcher and teacher at the UMCG, who is dedicated to equity in healthcare. Marjan, let's start with you. You've always been active in setting up networks, mentoring programs and courses to increase opportunities for female scientists. Why is that? Well, the main reason is because there is really a need for it. And um, the first time I realized that was about 20 years ago when I was asked to give the annual address in the faculty. That At that time I worked in Amsterdam in the Faculty of Science. And I was uh, announced as the female professor of the faculty. And I had never realized that I was the only female full professor amongst about 75 male colleagues. Uh, so that was, came really as a surprise. And, and it started a, a train of thoughts. Why is that the case? Um, what keeps women from going through the ranks? Of course, in, in the faculty of science, there are fewer female students than, for instance, here at the UCG. But still, um, especially in biology, the substantial um, part of the students are female. So, uh, and then I realized I, I started reading more about the subject and also going to symposia about it. Um, and I realized that there is a great need for role models, for mentoring, for sponsoring, uh, for support of female scientists to to uh, to keep on track. Have you been able to find out why there was um, a lack of female scientists? Well, it's not one cause. It's it's uh, multiple small things that make the difference. So, uh, of course, um, what's always said is, you know, juggling with time and having a, a family, uh, you know, picking up the kids from uh, kindergarten, etc. Uh, well, of course, that's that's one thing, but it's not the only thing. Um, what I noticed is also that, for instance, women are in general. This is, you know, I'm I'm talking about the the average situation. Uh, women are less articulate about their ambitions. So when there is an opening for, let's say, a professor position, then uh, it doesn't happen that often that women will say, well, I think I'm the ideal candidate, whereas this happens more often for male uh, um, scientists. So it needs that little nudge. Uh, I think as a supervisor, you have to be perceptive of this difference. And when you think that a woman is really a very good candidate, that you approach her and say, well, I think you could do this. And sometimes that's already enough to really... Uh, make a person apply. So it's it's many different things that um, that eventually cause that. Let's say twenty years after you enter university, uh, you end up with uh, a much lower proportion of females. Can you see that the number of female scientists is increasing? Well, if you look at a national level, you can see that 
every year, the, let's say the percentage of female professors, that's something that's uh, monitored every year, it, it increases by about 1% per year. So um, um, it, it differs amongst fields, of course, but on average, it that's the increase. Um, and uh, I'm very happy to say that here in the UMCG, we actually increased by 2% per year. Uh, right uh, last year, at the end of last year, we were at 32% female professors. Um, so we can actually calculate that within about nine years, we should be equal. Well, that's something to look forward to. I uh, hope. But is it an important theme for, a US, for the UMCG? I think diversity is an important subject anywhere, including for the UMCG. And the reason why I think that is because I strongly believe to be adaptive, you need to have many different talents in your organization, not just male, female, but also different types of leadership, um, people with a different cultural background. And uh, Marco, where does your interest for this topic uh, come from? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, my background is in, in, in international health and um, uh, in this field, inequities in access to healthcare, access to education, edu access to doing research, um, almost invariably have a negative impact on the outcome. Um, um, so um, for me, um, having equity within research results, just like my aunt says, in better outcomes because you need the variation. Um, uh, aspects such as gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic status, they all um, they all have a negative impact on, on, on how we perform. Um, and they confound from the real topic, focus on competency. You want someone to do something properly, um, no matter the gender or ethnicity. And why do you think there is this uh, gap in gender uh, in science? Well, I think it's... it's just like Marianne said, it's broader than just uh, um, uh, one layer. It has multiple layers. And if you look at science, um, uh, I sometimes think you, we can discuss about gender uh, from a perspective of um, uh, ethics, uh, but it goes much deeper. It has to do with uh, our epistemology, with our methods in research, even with our ontology. So the way we view the world, what do we think is real? I grew up with the idea that a doctor is a male, that uh, a researcher is a male. Um, where does he come from? I grew up with the idea that a man makes decisions and a woman is caring. I know a lot of women who can make excellent decisions and a lot of men that are actually very caring. So the ideas that we have, the way we view the world, I think it's um, confounded. And do you think, uh, so it's, it's more of a culture also, a cultural thing? Yes. Yes, and it has all those layers inside, yeah. Mayan, one other thing, you wrote a book a couple of years ago about 12 female pioneers. First of all, uh, why did you write the book? This particular subject was, again, close to myself because I, um, I took on particular positions, including the present one, because I thought it was time to have a female example. And the book starts with... The occasion that I, 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 at some time I was a president of the uh, European Neuroscience Federation, so that all the neuroscience um, federations or, or societies of the various European countries. And they have uh, every other year a big conference with, I don't know, 7,000 participants. 
And I, the, the book starts when I open that conference and I realize I'm the first female president of Europe standing here. And for all those female scientists that are in the audience, they now know also as a woman, you can stand there. You can <clears throat> be the leader of this, of this group. Um, and um, I thought it was important. And, and also for my current position, um, it's actually sobering to realize that I'm only the second female dean of medicine in the Netherlands. And the first one was uh, 20 years earlier. Um, so I took on particular positions because I thought it was important to have not just a role model, but of an example. It's possible. And I wondered whether that was true also for other women that were the first in their profession. So um, that's why I interviewed them. And also I not only showed the, you know, the, 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 the success story, because that's something you can read on internet. I was really interested in what were your, the difficult moments in your career? What were the difficult decisions? And how did you come out the other end of that difficult situation? And all of these women had have different, very difficult positions in their uh, life, be it personal. Um, for instance, one of the people I interviewed was our current rector, uh, Siska Weimiga. She's the first female uh, rector of the uh, University of Groningen. Not the first female rector in the Netherlands, but here. And of course, she lost her husband a, a couple of years ago. So that was an example of someone that had a, a great personal grief. But there were also women that um, were, were sent away in their job. Uh, or a woman that was the first um, highest uh, um, employee at, at one of the ministries. And she realized, I'm, I'm, I'm an example here. And already after a month, she realized she was very unhappy in her job. Uh, and, but she couldn't give it up. So I think these examples are really important. Yeah. yeah. And is there a common char characteristic or trait these women have that allows them to become pioneers in their jobs? If you look at their lives, they all had very supportive parents, especially their mothers, who said, I didn't have the chance, but I want you to have the chance. So that was a good start in life. They all were, um, of course, hard workers. Um, and um, they were, they didn't give up. As I said, they all had their difficulties. They didn't have more chances, but f they, they really used every chance they got. So one of the things that I'm, I, I think the, the final chapter is called um, making a whole success uh, of every half chance. And that's characteristic for these women. In Groningen, we have uh, Aletta Jacobs that pioneered for uh, equality um, in medicine. To what extent has she been an, a role model for women in science? Um, I think she she was, for in science, she was the role model in the Netherlands. Absolutely. Also for, for myself, uh, and I'm I'm very proud that she uh, she was uh, uh, she came from Groningen, actually she came from Sappermeer. Um, it was um, what was really characteristic for her was that she 
um, she had a view that there was no reason why a woman should not have access to things that were available to men. She, it was just um, an axiom for her. And she acted on that, which now we find very normal. But in her days, this was exceptional. And, and she, just to give an example, I think most people know this example. Um, she didn't have access to the university, but she personally, as a 17-year-old girl, wrote a letter to the minister uh, who was responsible for this, Dorbeck at that time, to ask for permission to enter the university. Well, you know, which 17-year-old girl does have that kind of initiative? She was just very a, bold. <laughs> she was very bold and she had she just had this conviction. It was not only a belief, she had a conviction that women should have equal chances. Recently we named the new education building that we're still building at the moment after Anda Kerkhoven. Uh, was she a feminist role model too? Um Yes, I think so. Uh, I had actually wanted to uh, name the building after Aletta Jacobs. <laughs> there is already a building, which where is yeah. where all the exams are. So people have a very, the students have a very negative uh, association <laughs> okay. with it, unfortunately. Another good name would have been to name it after the sister of Aletta Jacobs, Charlotte, mm-hmm. who was the second female student in the Netherlands, I believe four years after Aletta Jacobs. I didn't know that. No, yeah, she was a student in pharmacy. So uh, quite an exceptional family. Um, But the the name that was selected was uh, uh, Anna Kerkhofer came, actually she grew up in Indonesia um, and she was a a student uh, in in medicine here. Um, She started just before, I think just before the Second World War and um, um, she was very brave during uh, the, the Second World War and, and, and really acted from a conviction that um, people should be able to act in freedom. She, she also, I, I believe she was also a vegetarian and things like that. So she had very strong principles, including uh, the, um, the integrity of individuals. And that's why we thought it was a very befitting name. Marco, we talked about uh, <clears throat> equity before. Um, you are really dedicated uh, to that topic as well. Um, what would your ideal be? If it comes to doing science, my, my idea would be to focus on competence. And uh, just to make a distinction, we've been talking about equity and equality. And I think those two things are separate. Um, uh, equality is about everybody getting the same Whereas equity is about everybody getting the same chance or the same opportunity. And I think that is important to focus on. We don't need to be all equals. I think if you want if you want to build a ship, you need a carpenter, you need someone to build the sails, you need a captain, you need a navigator. Uh, and it's nice to have all of those and not just four navigators because then you get nowhere. Um, um, so for me, the focus on competency is important and try to uh, uh, openly address confounders such as gender or ethnicity or, or, or socioeconomic status, because we know they're always there. You cannot exclude them. You cannot be completely neutral, but we need to address them and strive for neutrality yeah. and equity. And you're a teacher yourself. Um, do you also uh, take this belief or this vision with you in your, in your daily work? Yes, obviously, because um, um, I think uh, students not only need um, the idea that that, that you are 
being taught where the heart is, where the liver is, but you need to be comp- become competent and you need to develop a vision on, on healthcare, on and where we need to go. Um, um, so I'm very fond of Ander van Kerkhoven. I'm very uh, principled about that. That you want, uh, you want the best for your for your society, and so we need to have this vision as well. And I would like to students to get that uh, that message as well. Yeah, and to look at competences. Right. And still, um, we live in a world that where it not happens all the time. Um, do you think? Um, what do you think is needed to reduce or eliminate those? Uh, disparities. Well, I, th- I think it starts with awareness. So, so, so thank you for doing this podcast. Actually, um, um, so awareness is one. And then openly discussing things with each other, um, uh, including all, all all the genders, all the uh, 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 all good reflection of society. Uh, but then we need policy as well. I think um, it's nice to hear that uh, uh, we are nine years away of having an equal percentage of uh, of professors. Uh, but I think it's, it's there's more to that. If you look at the numbers, then for many fields. Uh, it will take us up to 50 years uh, uh, before we get somewhere. And that is based on numbers that we just uh, extrapolate. So we draw the line, we continue the line. Uh, but culture can have an impact on that. Um, uh, we see in some parts of the world that it's uh, turning the other way around, where women's rights are being reduced. So if we want to move forward in that case, we need to be able to discuss things openly. And we, we need a bit of policy there. I am. Um, you were one of the initiators of the recognition and rewards program. We translated in Dutch. It's called Erkennen en Waarderen. The program aims to improve the quality of science by looking at things other than numbers of publications, grants acquired. To what extent can this program contribute to narrowing the gender gap in science? Um, Well, let me first uh, uh, give a little bit of nuance. I think numbers of uh, publications and grants are still important, Mm -hmm. but it's not the only thing that we can measure the impact of science in the scientific world or in society. So um, um, I think in general, it, it comes back to something I said before, to have an organization that flourishes, it's very important to have different aspects um, that, that can grow there. Mm-hmm. So one of the elements of recognition and reward is that there's not one type of career, but that you actually um, you, you encourage people to think of where their motivation and their talents are and to follow that and, and be able to grow in that. So um, I think we have had a very strong push towards uh, a research career. Um, that was the only way you can make you could make an academic career. Mm-hmm. And with the, one of the first things that we changed here in the UMCG, which is very much in the, in the spirit of recognition and reward, is that there are now four different uh, career paths. So next to research, you have uh, what we call uh, clinician scientists, we have people that have a heart for education and and people that are more in, let's say, knowledge transfer or very close to, to practice. Uh, and in addition, we have also something that's called educational leadership. So the, the four tracks that I mentioned are academic um, um, leadership, but we also have a educational um, leadership where people are really motivated to to help students to design your curricula, but not necessarily have to do research on it. 
So that's one aspect that I think is really important because we need all those things. And I think Mark was actually a beautiful example of someone that's a very good clinician, also doing research, no doubt. But I know you uh, best as someone with a big heart for education. So it's important that we have also a career perspective for those people and that we really recognize them. Now, that's one aspect. The other aspect that maybe I would like to highlight is that um, in the uh, recognition and reward, it's not just um, let's take the research pathway. It's not just that you are a very good researcher, but also that you are have the right competences to be a team player, to be a supportive mentor, to help the next generation grow. So um, I think both of those elements are necessary to make that next step in, in your career. And, and you can actually back translate that because if you want to be an academic leader, you need all those competences. So it's important that we also translate that to the more junior levels so that we avoid the situation where people come at a certain stage of their career and they're very focused on their own publications and they don't care so much about other people. And then we have to say, well, actually, you lack the competences to, to go to the next step. So in the, in the system as it was, we um, selected people for very different characteristics at the start of their career then we selected them at, at the higher levels of the career. And that was sometimes a mismatch and a disappointment for everyone. So I think part of that recognition and reward is that we also want to emphasize uh, skills and, and qualities that are not directly how uh, related to how smart you are, your, your IQ, but also your EQ and how social your social competences. Um, and I think, um, again, speaking in very general terms, this is a more um, inviting environment for female scientists to, to grow in. UMCT, with this uh, program, uh, are we more or less a pioneer in this field? Well, the four uh, career tracks, academic leadership uh, career tracks, we introduced actually two years before recognition and reward was launched. Um, but in other aspects, I think other universities or UMCs are pioneering. There are other universities that have done a lot on, on team science or citizen science or, um, well, you know, many different aspects. So I think we can learn from each other. Um, Marco, I, I see you nodding uh, all the time that Marianne tells, tells the story and she also mentioned you as a good example. Um, do you want to react to that? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm part of this uh, educational leadership uh, trajectory, which uh, I'm very grateful to have because I get to develop the things that I have ambitions in and my competencies there. Um, uh, I was just thinking, Marianne, what do you think? Are we... Uh, picking up on students enough on this are we uh, uh, picking up and taking them this uh, in the same process are we making it clear to them that it's not just about knowledge development but it's also about this competency development also about seeing your own competencies yeah i think that's a, that's a really interesting question uh, it this is basically a culture shift and i see in the umcg that reaching all the employees is already very difficult because as soon as someone says, you know, I don't believe in it and 
let them say, you know, this this is just managerial uh, talk. It doesn't in our department we do this different. Then everyone working below that level has to dance the dance as it's you know prescribed. So it's a very tough change in culture that we need to reach. And that also holds true for students because what I noticed, um, I think it's in our curriculum. There are a lot of things about leadership, uh, um, behavioral elements, uh, reflection, self-reflection, which are, I think, extremely important to become a good doctor. But the way some students see this is, okay, well, that week I can skip, I can go on holiday because that's less important. And um, well, there's really a role for the for the tutors to to say, well, if you want to become a good doctor, you're, you know, the knowledge you can find on the internet, but how you work with your patients, how you interact with your patients or your colleagues or the team you work in, that's a very important element of how successful you will be. So um, I think they will find out during their career, um, but it's pretty difficult to reach them uh, as students. And I think our high school system is actually very much geared to how well you do in, in, in terms of grades. And, and especially the students we get, because, you know, uh, the better your grades are, uh, the better your chances are to, to, uh, to be admitted. We're going to the end of this podcast uh, already. Time flies. Uh, well, is there something you want to f- emphasize in particular on this uh, theme? Maybe for both of you? I think it's nice to um, uh, to have this awareness, to have this discussion and to keep on having it. Uh, I think that's one important item. And also to look elsewhere um, um, and not, um, not only uh, introspection, but extrospection as well to see how other countries, how other organizations are doing this, because this is not a singular problem at UMCG in the Netherlands. It's uh, broader than that. Do you know a good example that you are referring to? Um, no, I think we should just think out of the box there. It, 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 it's quite obvious to think about Scandinavian countries, for example, who, uh, who ha- address this quite widely. But um, uh, when you look at the gender gap, there are many countries which are way above the Netherlands. Rwanda, for example, or um, a nice example is Senegal that just applied a new rule in their recent election, which results in uh, 45% of their government now being female. Um, I think it, learning from those discussions can be... Uh, um, valuable contribution. Yeah, something to yeah I think uh, maybe sort of a closing remark that many of the things we discussed in terms of diversity and behavior and having um, an open mind for um, skills, competences, they're all crucial elements of Course 25. Um, leadership and our uh, culture is, is number one in what we need to address if we want to keep up with time and to become a, a successful or to, to stay a successful uh, organization. So I think it's spot on to have a, bo- uh, a podcast on this subject because we are at, a, at the start of this whole new uh, leadership program and, uh, and this is one very important element of it. So I hope to actually visit the UMCG in 10 years time, to see that that change has um, 
been very successful. Well, you're more than welcome at that time. <laughs> well, both uh, Marco and Marianne, thank you so much for sharing your vision on this topic with us. I think it's uh, nice to see that you both have this have this powerful vision and also are contributing to that vision. You practice what you preach. This was the first episode of UMCG Research Talk. Thank you for listening. Curious about the next episode? Keep an eye on our social media channels and subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>